My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Francis Ravensbergen. After Donald Trump took office as President of the United States, there was a jump in the number of people wishing to cross from the U.S. into Canada to claim refugee status. Mostly, these were refugees from a range of countries in the Global South who had left their homelands in the wake of war, persecution, torture, famine, and a range of human rights abuses. The increase was a response to the harsh anti-immigrant rhetoric and policies of the new administration. While this increase resulted in considerable concern in some quarters, actively inflamed by forces on the political right and at times designated a, quote, crisis by the media, the numbers actually remained quite modest. In 2017, the number of refugee claims received by Canada was around 50,000. While this was anywhere from a two- to five-fold increase from the immediately preceding years, it was quite comparable to numbers from not so long ago. For instance, the 45,000 claims received in 2001. As well, it represents a tiny fraction of the 65 million people currently experiencing forcible displacement around the world, and is much lower than the number of refugees taken in by certain countries in the Global South. The movement of refugee claimants between Canada and the U.S. is currently governed by what is called the Safe Third Country Agreement. The dubious premise of the agreement is that the U.S. is a safe and just place for refugees to seek asylum, and therefore those already physically in the U.S. should not be eligible for consideration here. Under this agreement, though there are some exceptions, most people who enter Canada from the U.S. via an official crossing on land and attempt to make a refugee claim will be turned away. On the other hand, if someone crosses the border from the U.S. not at a formal port of entry, but at some other site, then they are entitled to present a refugee claim and have it considered. Anti-immigrant forces and sometimes the media use the dehumanizing language of illegal to describe such crossings, but there's actually nothing illegal about it according to the United Nations. They are at most irregular. Migrant justice organizations have long argued that the safe third country agreement is unsafe and unjust, and it should be scrapped. One of the most used locations for irregular crossings between the U.S. and Canada is Roxham Road in Quebec, which is quite close to the small town of Hemingford. When the number of people crossing at Roxham Road increased in 2017, a group of residents of Hemingford got together to see what they could do to support the refugees. There had been some informal activities already in the community in that direction, so Frances Ravensbergen knew that there would be interest, but when she and some friends called a meeting to found what would eventually become Bridges Not Borders, she really only expected five or ten people to show up. Instead, there were more than 50 residents of Hemingford who came and wanted to be involved. Over the last two years, the group has engaged in a wide range of activities in support of refugees. That at times has included direct support work, whether that's offering material aid to those who cross, or witnessing at the border to keep an eye on the behavior of the RCMP, 
It includes public education work, both locally in the Hemingford community and more broadly via their extensive presence in the media, and that has often been focused on dispelling the many toxic myths that circulate about refugees. And it includes lobbying government officials to push for changes in policies to make them more just and welcoming towards refugees and other migrants. Along the way, they have collaborated with migrant justice groups in Montreal and elsewhere, and on those occasions when far-right hate groups have mobilized nearby, they've done what they could to quietly but visibly hold space and make it clear that refugees are welcome in Hemingford, but the far-right is not. I speak with Ravensbergen about Bridges Not Borders and about what it's like doing migrant justice work in small-town Quebec. I should also note that, as I write these words, the federal Liberals have included language in their 2019 budget bill that would make many more people ineligible to claim refugee status in Canada. That includes anyone who has opened a claim for refugee protection in another country, regardless of how or where they cross the border into Canada. But that's a development that's taken place since this interview was recorded. I'm Francis Ravensbergen, who's lived in Hemingford along the American border for almost 40 years now. Raised my family here, so very much a part of this community and very actively involved in the community. We are a rural community sitting on the American border. On a good day, there's 3,000 people living in Hemingford. That's both the village and the township. We're a farming community, an hour outside of Montreal, and so there are people that commute to Montreal, but historically very much a farming community, historically also very much an English-speaking community, and that with the changing face of Quebec has changed a lot, and so it's a lot more francophone than English now, but we still have an English school, we have two schools, and Hemingford has, unusual to what you see in a lot of communities, huge amounts of community volunteerism, engagement, activism. So Hemingford does have a very rich history of people being engaged, not always necessarily as an activist, but certainly being invested in the community. When disasters happen, people organize. So in Indonesia, when Aceh happened, there was one girl who was in Indonesia at the time from our community. Her family got everything going, and there was this huge solidarity supper that happened and all kinds of money that was raised that was sent over. You know, somebody's barn burns down, and people get together and do a fundraising. Certainly, like every community, division and people sitting in different places politically, you know, rural. So historically, people who are maybe not as activist oriented as we often see with people in the city. We don't see huge diversity in terms of color in Hemingford, but we've always lived with the diversity of language between English and French. And I would say a fairly solid sense of coming together when we need to come together. Bridges Not Borders just sprung up out of the need to be doing something because of what we saw happening at Roxham Road. So Roxham Road is where most people who cross into Canada irregularly are coming through now. And for people who don't understand that, we have an agreement with the United States called the Safe Third Country Agreement, which says that if you land in the States and want to seek asylum, seek refugee status, you need to do it in the States because it's considered to be a safe country to ask for refugee status. And what started happening about two years ago is more people started coming over the border irregularly. And some people say illegally, but the United Nations is very clear that it's called irregularly. When you cross from one country into another, not using an official border crossing because you have concerns for your safety. And so you're trying to seek asylum and you have to do it irregularly. 
Because if you present yourself at the Canadian border from many countries in the world and you ask for refugee status, you will actually be turned back into the States because the States is considered safe. And this situation exists all over the world with all kinds of borders. And so the United Nations and countries have agreed to it, Canada's agreed to it, that people have the right to cross irregularly so that they can get into a safe country and ask for asylum, ask for refugee status. And our little Roxham Road, I mean, people have been crossing there for a very long time. I mean, across Canada, we have a very porous border. <laughs> Lots of people have crossed over from the States into Canada and certainly from Canada into the States also. But what started happening was as Trump's policies were getting more virulent and as people were starting to worry more for their safety, the numbers started going up. Roxham Road sits at the edge of Hemingford, technically in the next community over, but we like to think of Roxham as our neighbors. You literally would walk through a ditch and walk down a road where there's tree covered. It's a beautiful, idyllic country setting. And you would be in Canada and there would be lots of houses around and it would be fairly easy, although it still is country, to get yourself to the border to declare that you're asking for a refugee status in Canada. Because that's what people do when they come over irregularly. They actually want to be stopped and they want to be brought to the border by the police so that they can make their official request and have that noted that they're seeking refugee status. So we got started doing some work because there were more people who were starting to come come over. And that was summer of 2017. The numbers started going up quite a bit. We had a lot of Haitians who came over because Trump talked about revoking the rights of the Haitians to stay under the special permit that they had had in the States after the disaster they had had in Haiti. And so people got scared and started coming over in larger numbers thinking, I have to go somewhere safe and I don't feel that I can go back to Haiti. And in Hemingford, we started seeing the impact of that because we started hearing stories from people who work at the border, who, of course, live within our local community, and it started being on the news, and activities started getting organized. It was really interesting because the media got involved and was coming down to the border and interviewing people, and a number of us were kind of upset when we heard a few people being interviewed that we knew, of course, who were saying, so these people are crossing and we don't know if we should welcome them or if they're dangerous. And some of us started talking about that and going, whoa, 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 wait a sec. What's going on here in terms of how people are perceiving this issue? A lot of education was needed about why people were crossing and the kind of people that were crossing. And that's where the United Church picked up the ball and organized an information meeting. And out of that came an opportunity for a whole bunch of us to spend a little bit of time at the border during the summer of 2017, just giving out muffins and juice and sanitary pads and that sort of thing to people who were crossing in larger numbers. And then that became unrealistic for us to do because there were so many people that were crossing over and the Red Cross got called in and it became much more of a bureaucratized system in terms of process people. But a number of us kept thinking, we need to be doing something because these people are crossing into what we are seeing as our community. And we were seeing some negative commentary, of course, in the media, but also locally, we were picking up on some things. And so we decided we would get together and do something about it. And so there was a little bit of setting up a booth at a local event called the Wool Gathering. And we talked to people and there was lots of people who said, yeah, I'd like to get involved in something. So we pulled together a meeting, I made a pot of lentil soup and I thought, oh, there'll be five, six, ten people that come and we'll see what we can do. 
And uh, I kept adding water to the soup. And thank goodness people brought food because we ended up being like, I think it was 50 people that showed up in my house for a meeting to talk about this. I mean, stuff had happened before in terms of doing the educational stuff. But that evening, and that would have been November 2017, we formed a bunch of committees. And most of those committees, people just went off and did what they said they wanted to do to support refugees and to try to keep public discourse about who these people are and why they're coming here in an affirmative community building kind of tone. What were some of the actions and activities that came out of the various committees that emerged from that meeting? For a little bit over a year now, we've worked with three kinds of areas, lobbying, refugee support, and education. The first meeting or two, it was very much what do people want to do? I think we have more banners than any other group I've ever been involved in. We have a lot of artists in the community. And so people wanted to make art and make banners and do that sort of thing. One idea was let's make a banner and hang it in the trees by the border crossing on this little road so that people can see that there's somebody welcoming on the other side. The RCMP took it down within a week, but now it's hanging on someone's barn. So as the bus goes by that takes the asylum seekers from Roxham Road to the official border crossing, hopefully people are seeing that sign of welcomeness as they cross. Some of the other things that happened, we started talking about doing some kind of an educational event, a public meeting. And that did get organized. And I think that raises for me just really interesting challenges of when we do public meetings like that. They're good to do, but the people who tend to come were people who, for the most part, already felt the way that we did about wanting to be welcoming and that people had a perfect right to cross at Roxham and to seek asylum. The people who weren't as happy about it, for the most part, weren't at the meeting. And it was a lot of work organizing that meeting. So one of the reflections I had afterwards was, I'm just going to talk in a different way to people. I'm not going to try to get them to a meeting. I've just tried to engage people where I run into them as a neighbor more. But that's the kind of stuff we started doing. And there was lots of stuff. I mean, the art kind of stuff, the educational stuff. I think one of the other interesting ones before we got really organized was we knew of some people on the American side, a group called Plattsburgh Cares, and they would try to be at the border at least once a day at Roxham Road and just kind of be there in solidarity with people who were crossing into Canada. And they did some really interesting work making sure that nobody was getting ripped off in terms of cost to go from either the bus station in Plattsburgh or the airport to Roxham Road. And they also started working with people who got to Roxham and were too afraid to cross, which is very understandable because it's a huge life decision that people are making. And so sometimes people would be stuck in the States without many resources and Plattsburgh Cares was supporting them. We said, well, we'd like to support you in doing that work. And we started having a couple of us going over once a week and we still do it. We go over on Sunday afternoons and we bear witness to what's going on. We provide hats and mitts. We look from the American side and we monitor the behavior of the RCMP because it's the RCMP between border crossings who patrol the border. So the RCMP is actually now permanently at Roxham Road with a building that they built and we monitor their treatment of people who are going over. And we report on either concerning behaviors that we see by RCMP officers or downright wrong illegal activities that RCMP officers have occasionally done. 
most of the time things go very well and protocol is followed and everything goes smoothly. But at times there's been some very disturbing events at the border. And if we're there, then we report that and make sure it gets followed up on. So we just kind of over time, like we do what needs to be done and it shifts. So in the course of your educational work and your conversations with media and with community members, what are a couple of the key harmful myths about refugees that you've run across and how do you counter them? One was we're being completely invaded by people. And there were a lot of people coming over in August of 2017. There were about 8,000 people that came over. And that seems huge. So part of the countering of that was talking about the history of people seeking asylum in Canada. And so we had to go and do a lot of research ourselves. What we really did to counter that one is we talked about numbers of refugees coming into the country historically, because when Harper was in power, we cut the number of people coming in a lot as a country. And so there's something about let's look at it historically and the numbers of people coming in. And then maybe this influx that we're seeing is not such a big influx after all. I remember having a really interesting conversation in the cafe in Hemingford with a couple of older women in the community that I know, and they were saying, yep, we have done our bit, and now we've done enough because we really need to be taking care of our own. Because these people are coming in and being supported by the government, our elderly people and our people on welfare are not receiving the kind of support they need. And so that was an interesting one for me to pull apart in terms of different issues and talk about it was when the $15 minimum wage campaign was going on in Quebec. And so it was saying, well, you know, you could also work on the $15 minimum wage campaign if you really do think that people on welfare need a better deal, because I was finding a lot of the comments we're coming from people who didn't necessarily fight for the rights of disadvantaged people in other ways. And it was also just talking about where do dollars get spent. It might sound kind of trite, but one of the examples I just keep using is all this money that goes offshore and never gets taxed. Maybe if we made some changes in policy at other levels, there would be lots of money for us to work on the kinds of humanistic needs that I think are a priority. And, you know, maybe people with higher incomes could get taxed a little bit more. And then there was always people who are worried about asylum seekers look different than a lot of us. A lot of them are Muslim or they're black. It was framed often in they're just different than us. And so trying to push that a little bit in terms of different faiths coming into the country and having tolerance that's when I always found a little bit more difficult because often people don't want to talk about how all of us, I think, have some racism within us and sort of confronting that. So lots of different discussions like that that we've had. I'm trying to think of other big concerns people had. An obvious one is, I don't understand why they just don't go to the border and cross like everyone else. So that's just kind of an educational one. And there we would get into the discussion about it's illegal. You know, and we have to explain what the UN says about it. The Customs Act and the immigration laws and our agreements with the United Nations are not in concordance right now. So the RCMP is going to keep saying that people are entering the country illegally, even though everything that comes out of our signing of the Safe Third Country Agreement and agreements we signed with the United Nations tells us clearly that it is irregular entry. People actually have a right to do that, to cross that way. There was an interesting one 
It was actually with CBC that they called and they said, could you come on air in half an hour and could you please talk about the refugee crisis? And I went, nope. And they were like, oh, you're not free? And I was like, I'm free, but there is no crisis. So I can't talk about a crisis that doesn't exist. And it was really interesting for our group to be able to talk to the media that way. And so we were able to put our message out there a lot more about numbers and what was the real situation and why were people seeing it as a crisis when it wasn't really. So I understand that a couple of times at least, the far right has mobilized in or near your community. How has your group responded to that? Yeah, that one's been really, really difficult. So we had La Meurthe and a couple of other groups, Storm Alliance, coming to the border September 2017. And we had our group in Montreal, Solidarity Across Borders, who were going to do a countermarch. And a lot of people in Hemingford were very torn. I mean, a lot of people aren't used to sort of being more out there overtly confronting white supremacists and overt kind of racism. And people didn't want to have a very strong, strong presence. But also a lot of us were quite deeply upset that extreme right-wing people were coming to our community. And I thought it was so wonderfully typical of Hemingford. The way we organized with the first march, which was going to be at the main border, is our Hemingford group showed up earlier and we brought a beautiful banner that one of our members had made. And that's how we got our name, because it said Bridges Not Borders on the banner. And we hung it. And, you know, it took a while to get it right. And it was a bit windy. And so we were kind of focused on getting this great big banner hanging properly. And then we just stood there with our banner. And it was like, we're just standing here and we're just holding this space. Many of us ended up leaving before there was any kind of violence. A lot of us weren't very comfortable with any of that. When we debriefed it afterwards as a group, because we do meet every two months and kind of go over, you know, what our next actions are going to be, we realized that this would start happening a little bit more frequently. And there was stuff happening on Roxham Road, which was deeply disturbing to a lot of people because that's part of our community. And to see violence happening there was upsetting to people. And so when we heard that, I can't remember which group was first going to be there, if it was Storm Alliance. So we decided what we would do is hold Roxham Road. We're going to hold Roxham Road as a place of peace and welcomeness and tranquility. And people who are crossing over into Roxham and get on the RCMP bus to be taken to the main border crossing, we didn't want them seeing violence happening or negativity against them. And so we thought, we'll hold Roxham Road. And so what we did is we started blasting John Lennon's song, Imagine, from somebody's barnyard. And we had a party. We did art with the kids and we had the music going and we had food going. And there certainly was some presence on Roxham of the alt-right. And they had to get pushed back a little bit by the police. But we were just very clear that we were holding what we could hold. We also have a number of us have decided that we'd like to where we can speak with people who hold very different opinions than us. We don't want to immediately create walls. And there were some interesting discussions. For instance, the Saturday that the march was happening on Roxham Road, there were some people wearing Storm Alliance jackets in the village. I approached them and someone else joined me and we had a conversation. And we also told them that, frankly, for the majority of our community, I'm sure there's members, people in the community who are more sympathetic to them, but for the majority of our community, they're not welcome in our community. And we just said it in a very polite kind of way. And then we had to agree to disagree because, frankly, some of the things they were saying were 
completely ludicrous. So what would you like people who are sympathetic to your work but who don't themselves live in border communities to be doing around these issues? I think there's something all of us can be doing, which is informing ourselves more about what is going on in terms of numbers of people crossing, in terms of why people need to cross, about Canada's need for more citizens in terms of just our employment needs, if nothing else, about what diversity has brought to Canada as a nation. And I think just engaging with people in conversations is a really powerful tool that we can all use all the time. So that's, I think, the way to start it. I think the other thing we can all do is always question political parties about where they're coming from and what their stance is and letting them know where we stand on issues. Those would be two things that anybody can do. And we're incredibly lucky in Hemingford that we get to work on this issue with more intensity because it's happening in our community. But there's lots of issues happening in all kinds of communities. And in some ways, whether it's asylum seekers or environmental justice or violence against women or I mean, there's a million issues. I think what becomes important is that we all work on the issue that sits close to us in whatever way, because our community is drawn into it, because we know people affected by it, because we just have an opportunity to learn more about it. And we work on that issue knowing that it's part of a much larger piece around social justice that needs to be worked on. For me, it's like trying to connect those dots between rights of people to climate justice issues and working on the issue that sits in front of me. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I was involved in the Environment Committee in Hemingford for years. I've been involved in women's issues that are more closely linked to maybe things that are going on in Montreal, but there's always been links back to my community. So I do think we can find issues that somehow speak to the reality we're in and use that to get good, deep, reflective thinking about like what kind of a society do we want to live in and what kind of choices are we making and are we letting our politicians make about how our lives play themselves out. One of the things we've had is people coming to us and saying, you know, I live in Toronto, but I'm a photographer. Can I come and support you? Or we've had amazing people from the States who want to support what we're doing. And they've worked in all kinds of like crisis situations and refugee camps and in disaster zones. And I'm like, I think we need to find stuff locally that we can work on. Like we don't have to go far away to find the issues. So what's going on in your local area and how can you, if it isn't incredibly active, you know, join in on what's happening or find other people who will join you on it. There's no lack of issues to work on. It's finding the hook and finding the people and living it in our daily lives. I think that's important also, how we talk to people and how we try to educate ourselves, which I find challenging, sort of staying on top of things. Yeah, it's work, but it's worth doing. You have been listening to my interview with Francis Ravensbergen of Bridges Not Borders. To learn more about their work, go to bridgesnotborders.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>